Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. This is Kelly Henderson, and you are listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. So you guys know that I am fascinated with human beings and just how we work and why we are driven to do what we do, both emotionally and mentally. I've been extremely fascinated with narcissism as it is such a big word in our culture these days, especially with everything in our society from social media to reality TV. But what if the only form of narcissism wasn't full-blown narcissistic personality disorder? What if narcissism was actually measured on a scale and some people were higher on the scale than others? For instance, is that ex of yours actually a narcissist or maybe just an asshole? Or how much narcissism do you think that you actually have? Dr. Keith Campbell asks all of these questions in his new book, The New Science of Narcissism, where he believes that this scale is the new way to measure how much narcissism truly exists in our culture. Dr. Campbell was one of the most insightful and down-to-earth interviews that I had all year, and therefore there was just no way it couldn't be a part of one of my favorite conversations. Hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Here's Dr. Keith Campbell. Okay, so I found you because I, I don't remember exactly what I was reading, but there was an article talking about the overuse of the word narcissism now and how... You know, in our culture, we're kind of like, I have this tendency to be like, ugh, my ex is such a narcissist. You know, I've had this tendency right. to just associate the people I've dated in the past with narcissists. And while they may be, what I found so fascinating with what you're saying is that there's a spectrum out there. And so I want to kind of talk a little bit about that today and just kind of our society's association with the word narcissism. But could you start with just giving everyone kind of a grand scale definition of the word narcissism? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, th- what you're telling me is something I've, I've heard, you know, from other people as well. And it's the idea that we use the term narcissism and we're kind of using it pejoratively. It's, you know, it's about the X and it's usually kind of negative and it's usually saying the person sort of, we use it like a jerk. Yeah. Maybe selfish jerk. Yes. So like, how's the X? Yeah, he's just kind of a narcissist. I'm over it. What does that mean? Well, he's kind of a selfish jerk and cheated on me. Versus he was just sort of nice and boring and I, I just bailed on him. Right. You know, so, 
So the narcissist, you kind of get an idea across, but it's not very, it's not very detailed. And in the, in the world of psychology, the world of research, we have this, like a more expansive uh, definition of narcissism. And they capture some of these ideas, but I'll, I'll just go through it and stop me if I'm too boring at any point. Okay. Um, but we talk about narcissism first as a trait, and that means that people exist on, on a spectrum or a continuum from sort of high levels to low levels, and most people are sort of in the middle. Okay. It's, it's, and when we talk about narcissism, we really use two different, we use two different terms, and what most people are using is uh, when they talk about narcissism, it's talking about what we call grandiose narcissism, which is this, this narcissism that has, imagine it having a sense of entitlement and thinking you're special and important, maybe not being super empathetic with people, but also being outgoing and confident and extroverted and maybe charismatic and maybe likable or energetic when you first meet the person. And so when you take this combination of, of kind of entitlement and self-importance, but also likability and extroversion, and you get this, this kind of Iron Man character with a Tony Stark character or politician character, it can be, it can be something that's, that's very likable. Um, so this grandiose narcissism is the trait we see in actors and politicians and, you know, country music, you probably see some of this, um, where people who are, you know, rise to success very easily, but, you can have bad relationships with them, which I'll talk about. Right. Um, and then the other side of narcissism is what we call vulnerable narcissism. And this is what you see more in the clinical world in clinical settings and therapy settings. And these are folks that have that sense of entitlement. They think they're better than other people. Same as, uh, you know, same as grandiose narcissists, but they also are a little bit insecure. They're kind of depressed or anxious. They have some low self-esteem. They're vulnerable to criticism. So their, their, their feelings are threatened pretty easily. They, they go up and down and, and how good they feel about themselves. And people who are vulnerably narcissistic, we don't end up voting for, for president. They, we don't end up seeing them perform. We don't end up dating them quite as much because they're not as outgoing and likable. But, they end up in these clinical offices with, with depression and anxiety because they're, they're like, God, how come people don't appreciate how great I am? How come people don't know how attractive I am? You know, how come I'm not getting all the girls? Right. How come John is? He doesn't have what I have. I'm a legend, but I'm scared to talk to anyone. Hmm. And so you have these two faces of narcissism that exist, and, and both of them are traits on a continuum. And you can have, you can, find people that are grandiose and vulnerable. So they're, they're grandiose, but they have thin skin too. So you can get a mix. And then the, the third way we talk about narcissism is a very extreme form, which is a personality disorder called narcissistic personality disorder or NPD. And that is a very extreme form of narcissism that's, that leads to problems or impairment. So to have a clinical disorder, a clinical level of narcissism has to be messing up your life in a way that's so intense that you need therapy or treatment. So maybe you're, you're ruining your marriage because of your infidelity, or maybe you're ruining your business because you're, you're too overconfident and you don't take feedback from people and you make a bunch of dumb risks and you won't learn from mistakes. Or maybe you're, you know, you're investing poorly because you're always overestimating your ability. 
So there, it could be, you know, you can have your narcissism that becomes so extreme that it messes up your life and is a disorder. But you can be really narcissistic and not have a disorder. It's just your personality. Okay, I have so many questions about that part of it because just like when Keep I, going. yeah, I mean it's like what? Okay, what I was saying about the ex-boyfriend situation, like I mean your description of a grandiose narcissist, literally, probably, I mean it just really sounds like a lot of my exes. So I mean yeah. they're you know they're very charming, very you're very drawn to them and all of these things, but it's when you actually get within the relationship that it becomes a problem. So yeah. my question is though, like. If someone is just has a has narcissistic traits or like, well, I guess, okay, let me start over. First question, do we all have some narcissism in us? Yes. I mean, it's a continuum and sort of by definition, we're, we're all on there at some level or another. So if I gave narcissistic, a narcissistic personality inventory, the hundred people, everybody's on there. Okay. But you're going to find a certain number of people that are close to the top. And there's no real line where you say, oh, that's narcissism and that's not. But you're going to find a certain amount of people that are at the high end. But most people on, on narcissism measures are in the middle or kind of low. You know, it's just, it's just you find some that are in the high end. So the way that you talk about it sounds like it's not that big of a deal. But like what we were saying about the exes, I'm like, oh, I got to get away from this person. Like it's... Well, it, it, you know, it's not a, it's not that big a deal for your ex. It's a big deal for you, right? If that makes sense. So, so I, I, I the, the the relationship thing is so interesting, and and it and it leads to so many problems with narcissism because, as you said, that the ex we're talking about just the generic grandiose narcissistic ex, not yours, but just in general, uh-huh. somebody who's charming, confident, probably likable when you met him, seemed to know what he was doing, seemed to have a way about life. You get in a relationship with somebody like that. The way relationships work in our culture generally is you you start a relationship that usually starts kind of shallow and fun. Right. You find somebody who's sort of attractive and you go out a few times. It's really fun. You have a great time. You get a rush. You're like, yeah, I really like this person. This is great. And then after a few months, you start becoming more emotionally intimate with the person. So you start focusing on caring. You start focusing on, maybe, hey, maybe we want to make a commitment. You know, maybe we even want to move in or maybe we want to get married or fall in love, you know, and that transition that happens in relationships. If you want to take them to the next level with people who are narcissistic, that doesn't happen well, because when you get to that part about the emotion and commitment and, you know, you can't hit on all my friends Mm. and you you know, you got to be there emotionally. That doesn't, that's not their field. That's not where they do really well. So when you get to that phase in the relationship, it usually starts to, to fall apart or can start to fall apart. Right. And, okay, go ahead. Sorry. And so, no. So what, what often happens, I mean, the, the story is that, you know, you get in the relationship, you're in it a few months, things aren't going well. You start going, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Why am I, why is this guy not as interested as he seems to be? What, maybe I, there's something wrong with me. I'll try to be nicer. I'll try to be more loving. Well, lo and behold, if you're more loving, that kind of pushes the person away because they go, well, I can get away with anything now. Mm-hmm. And it sort of backfires and it falls apart. And the person that the narcissist is on to somebody else already. And you're sitting there for the next three months going, what the hell did I do wrong? I'm an idiot. How did I not see that coming? What right. a moron. You know, I'm a, I'm a bad person who can't handle relationships. And you're like, 
No, you're totally fine. You just chat with somebody when that interested in commitment. Right. They're interested in they're interested in commitment on their terms, but not on the terms that work for both of you. So So yeah. Well, you say that it's so it's not an issue for them, but isn't that creating problems in their life? It is. It, it, so I was a little glib when I said that, and it does cause issues for the narcissist, but those issues are usually a little more long term. So what happens to the ex-boyfriend is he goes through this relationship a few times because, and he looks around and he goes, God, my friends are married and I see some of them have families. And, they, and they're getting something. They have this love, and I, I don't have that. And maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need to figure out how to change so I can have a little more committed relationship. And that's when you start seeing people who are narcissistic start seeing that their life choices have some consequences. Okay, I see what you're does saying. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. A little later, and, and, I, and, and when I hear from people, you know, I hear from... I hear from 10 people who had a bad relationship with somebody narcissistic for everybody who says, look, I'm, I'm kind of narcissistic, Keith, and I, and I want love and I want a family, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm blowing it. Yeah. You know, but that's when, but that does happen. It's just usually a little more long term. So it's just a little later once they start realizing or seeing other people go through that process. Yeah, I think, it, you know, and it's the way it's the way relationships work in our culture because we have these sort of love attraction relationships and they're mm-hmm. very individualistic. If you go find dude or, you know, whatever, it, you'll find people on Tinder. If we were in India um, and you know, there's arranged marriage, then this wouldn't be an issue because right. you just end up with somebody and then you'd have to learn to love them. Right. Okay, I see. So when does it actually become a problem? Because you say like, you know, maybe we all have a, a little bit of narcissism in us. And um, I do want to talk a little bit about that test that you can take. But if there's a spectrum and we're all on it in some capacity, when is it actually an issue? Is it when it becomes a disorder or is it just if you're super high in narcissism? Like how does, what does that look like? Yeah, I... <clears throat> I think that's a, it's a great question, and I generally think of personality traits as trade-offs, meaning, you know, narcissism really would help me in certain situations, like doing podcasts, for example, or, yeah. you know, I, gee, stand out there and tell the world you're a legend, yeah. you know, or you're an expert. <laughs> I mean, you got to have some ego to do that, and, and there are other times where ego really hurts you, so if I'm with my kids, or I'm with my dog, or I'm with my wife and, and, you know, we're trying to talk and I'm trying to listen, you know, my ego sort of interferes. Um, and so the way I like to think about it is that we really want our personality to be, to be flexible and adapt to the situation. Okay. So we want to be able to be confident when it's time to be confident, but when it's not time to be confident, we need to be able to dial that back. And right. maybe we want to be super creative when it's time to be creative, but when we're not, you know, when it's time to just get in line and follow the rules, we want to turn that back. And, you know, so we have these different traits and they, and they're, they work, you know, in different places we want to have more or less. And so kind of a healthy personality is somebody who's psychologically flexible, meaning they can, they can move around these, these traits depending on what they need where people get in trouble is when they become rigid or inflexible and they, and they can't really change. So they're one way all the time. Yes. So no matter what the situation is, it's like, what about my ego needs? Like, dude, we're in a pandemic. 
You know, right. you, you're not getting your you're not getting your burger, man. It's a pandemic. Like, but right. what about my my burgers? What's pandemic, man? Let it go. If you can't just let it go, you're going to suffer because you're like, where are my needs being met? Like, no one's really thinking about your needs. Everyone's struggling right now, my friend. Okay, well, tell me a little more about ego needs because I will tell you this. When I was reading your book, The New Science of Narcissism, I'm reading it and I'm like, you know, like I said earlier, I'm like, Ugh, all my exes. Then I'm reading it and I'm reading all these traits and I was like, holy shit, am I a narcissist? Like you start to like put yourself on it. I started to really ask myself these hard questions and like what you just said about ego needs, like we all have needs, right? Especially in like a relationship, for instance, like where's the line, I guess, is what I'm trying to figure out of just getting needs met and being in a healthy relationship and being a healthy person versus being on the opposite end of that. And, you know, I guess like what you're saying, main t- just say, staying in the ego place all the time. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of this is about balance and okay. being in your industry and, and everything else. I mean, you know, you're in a celebrity field, you got to look like a celebrity. And so this, this yeah. stuff is important. One place I think it's really important, I say, look, you can worry about your ego and being the best and being the hottest and being the most popular, and that's all cool, as long as you're a loving person, as long as you have connections, as long as you have compassion. Yeah. And so when I look at all the problems with narcissism, because it's very easy to just go, look, you're narcissistic, don't be such an egomaniac, but but like, well, then who's going to jump on stage and start reciting poetry? Right. Who's going to put up those crazy pictures that look like, you know, the kid drew them and say it's modern art. You need an ego for somebody to do that. Sure. So what I usually think, at least, and this is my own life too, you know, we all struggle with this, is like, if you're still able to have those compassionate connections with people, if you're able to reach out and help people, if you're loving the people, um, that that will buffer you from getting taken over by your ego. Okay. So for me, and it's just my personal practice, because uh, I have an ego, is I try to always try to funnel stuff through my heart. I'm like, is, is my heart open? Is my heart working? Am I mm. looking around? And if I do that, I go, you know, you're not going to get in too much trouble. Yeah. You get in some trouble, but you're not going to be a total jerk. All the time, yeah. Every day you're focusing on, like, expanding your capacity for love a little bit, being more connected. And if you're a loving person, you you probably know people like this who are kind of egomaniacs, but they really try to be loving. They try Mm -hmm. to be generous. It's not always there because sometimes they're just caught up in their own thing and they go back to it. You go, look, I can work with somebody like that. Sure. I know they're trying. So that to me is that, because if you start fighting the ego directly and saying, look, I don't want to be popular. I don't want to be hot. You know, it's like, right. well, maybe you kind of do want to be hot. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to be ugly. Well, right. <laughs> It'd be like trying to talk yourself out of, self out of being successful. Like, I don't want to be successful or, you know, like what, yeah. then why are we going to work every day? Like, I feel like there's a part of us all that says I want to be successful and that looks different for different people. But um, yeah, the opposite extreme seems a little inhumane almost like they're just kind of impossible like an impossible standard to meet right and and i so that's why i i think it's that it, again if you focus on the heart um it keeps you from saying like my goal is to be powerful so i can crush people mm-hmm. and instead my goal is to be powerful and once i'm here i'm going to try to lift people up with me 
I'm going to try to share the view with people. I'm going to try to maybe climb back down in the mountain and give people some tips or help mm-hmm. them out, you know, try to bring something back for the people. So I think, uh, I mean, I think conceptualizing your life where there's some part in there where there's some part of that bottom line that's going out to other people okay, is, is a way to balance that. Um, because, you know, ego's there. It's, it's just, that's just, it, we have a very competitive individualistic society and you need some of it. Yeah. So can there be times in your life where you're more narcissistic than other times? Like you mentioned, um, you know, like there's times where a person might be extremely loving or whatever, but then there could be times where they get sucked back into their own stuff. And I know, for instance, I've had like this year, for instance, I had a lot of really big blows work wise, or I was just like super encompassed by a lot of things happening in my personal life. And then of course we all are with this pandemic, right? So I have not felt like my best, most loving self at all the time. Um, so is that typical? Like, are there times where we can be a little more healthy and staying and out of the ego place and then times where you just get absorbed by it for everyone? Yeah. Or is that just me? <laughs> no, no, I think that's, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, there's, there's obviously differences between people, but there's two things you touched on that I think are really important. One is that there's a general idea that if we if we're well rested and we're stress free, it's much easier to be nice than when we're tired and 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 stressed out or depleted or exhausted. Right. So you go out and work all day. Let's imagine I'm waiting tables. I'm a server at some fancy place, and you know, in in uh, Nashville, and I'm working hard. You know, pandemic's over, and I'm I'm smiling at people who are mean to me for eight hours, and I go home to my boyfriend, and He's like, how's your day? I'm like, shut up. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. I'm exhausted. And so you just get exhausted and we kind of run our world where we try to be really nice to strangers and we and then we we save our meanness for those we love. It's a very strange system we yeah. So I think that to be our best self and our most loving self, you know, getting sleep, getting rest, eating nutritious diet, not being, you know, on a, on a sugar low with it. It's like the clinicians, the clinical psychologists always say hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yes. I know that one. You know, those are kind of the, you know, those kind of things that will lead to stress. And if you, you know, if, if when you're stressed, you become narcissistic, it's going to make it worse. You're still not, you're still not going to be more loving. You might be more angry. You might be more hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just a general ease in life will help. The other thing are ages, you know, developmental trends. And, it, you know, you're, you're 18, 19, you're going to be more focused on yourself, 21. You, you know, you have a lot oh, of sure. self-focus. Yeah. You, you're trying to build a career. You're trying to figure out who you are. And then at some point, maybe you go, okay, I've got, I've got my foot in the career. I'm building something. Now I want to step out and have a family. And maybe then I've got to be less self-focused. You know, and then maybe once my family's gone, I got to get my kids, <laughs> get my kids through college. So I got to right. be self-focused again. To, so some models in psychology talk about life as a is is sort of a series of cycles, from nar- to more narcissistic to more interpersonal. Um, and some people talk about life as one. You know, there's this sort of major cycle when you're young, you're you're a little more selfish, and when you get older and you get sort of put into the system you get married you work you, you're kind of doing your thing you become a little more socialized you're a little less narcissistic you're a little more focused on the system 
Okay, that makes so actual total sense. Because I think about when I graduated college and I was like applying for my first jobs, I had such an entitlement. This is what I always tell like young 20-somethings. I literally was like, oh, I'm going to walk into these places and they're going to be so happy to hire me, you know? And then yeah. you get out there and you're like, oh, wait. First of all, there's a million other people just like me. And um, they, you know, either they had... they are more hardworking or they went to a better school or they made better grades. Like there's all these different things that I think reality hits and you switch out of that entitlement. But I've seen a lot of people really struggle with that or, you know, like that's, it's a huge tip. I try to give like my young interns that work for me and stuff is just like, stop thinking that you deserve anything and really like put the work in to earn it. Yeah. And that is, I mean, this is one of the, I mean, I wrote a lot about generational differences and, in the past and this stuff comes up and some of it's developmental and it's, but yeah, you're, you're told for a long period of time that you're awesome. Yeah. And you're in school and you're told you're awesome and you're told you're going to be a winner. Yeah. And you're not right. And no one promised you that and it's not fair and it really sucks. And so that transition, you know, getting your ego crashed is really painful to people. Yeah. And that's why I was, you know, I give the examples of like big wave surfers or fighters or people like that are often super nice because they just have got crushed so many times. They've lost so many mm. times. They become humble and really more loving in a way. Um, but what's interesting about your story too is you went for it. You're like, I thought I was a cat's ass and I went for it. <laughs> so at least you went for it, you know? I guess, yeah. And, 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 you know, I grew up, I, I was, you know, when I was young, I was really insecure, really anxious. And, uh, you know, I'd go for stuff, but it was just gut check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if anyone liked me, I was like, oh, my God, they must not know who I am. And, and that's not fun either. So, you know, that, that ego, when you start something, isn't bad to go out there and do it as long as you're able to, to sort of take that ego off pretty quickly when you realize you're, you know, you're not that special. Yeah, that, that and was a huge one. And it's hard. And, and, and the other thing I think, it's funny when you're bringing this up, because I, um, you know, I started judging myself as I got older and studied this. I thought, you know, when I'm the dumbest person at the table, that's when I know I've made it. <laughs> so, that's interesting. So as an academic, yeah, when, as an academic, I've gone to dinner and I've looked around the table. I thought these are the smartest people I've ever seen in my life, and I thought I'm sitting with them, and they yeah. don't know that I shouldn't be here. This is as good as it gets. Well, that's you know? such a good I mean, way to look at it, though, because we all, I think a lot of times what I hear people say or what I deal with is that um, imposter syndrome. And so instead of going, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be here, you're just like happy to be there with these people. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's I guess it's a way of kind of just embracing imposter syndrome a little more. Yeah, you know, imposter syndrome is is totally normal, and it's you know it's normal for people, especially when you're rising through a system. So every time you start something, you're like oh my god, I'm a grad student. Oh my god, I'm a professor. This is crazy. Yeah, you know, and and you kind of do that your whole life. Um, but but if you're not doing that, you know, I always tell my students it's very easy to set up a world where like you don't get rattled and you're the you know everything. You mm -hmm. just set up a very small world mm -hmm. for yourself where you're the boss, and and you won't be threatened and um, and you won't grow. But if you want to grow, you have to be comfortable being an idiot and being the dumbest person in the oh, room. I often. love that though. Yes, that is so and, true. And, 
And then what you start doing is you start going, oh, my God, look how surrounded by these. I'm such an idiot. You know, I'm, I'm on the stage with all these great people. And you start getting reinforced for that. You start going, this is great. I'm doing it right. <laughs> you, yeah. know? So you start to be able to embrace your, your, you know, your failings. And that's when you start to grow. Yes. A new thing I started doing, too, when I feel that feeling of like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing or I'm starting something new and I see other people doing it so easily. What I try to say to myself now is um, to like look at what they're doing, look at what they're doing well and learn from it and just go, I can do that, too. I'm in the same place now. I maybe don't know how to do it yet, but like I like how he does that or I like how she does this part and just take take those as lessons instead. Yes, because one of the things that happens with narcissism, you see this with, with vulnerable narcissism in particular, but grandiose as well as you see envy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, oh, look at those people. It's so easy for them. It's just not fair. You know, screw them. I'm going to trip them up. Yeah. I'm going to talk on their back. I'm going to yeah. shame them. And, you know, so, you know, I see myself doing stuff like that. I'm like, God, you just sound like an envious little child. Yeah. <laughs> You're acting. You know, and it's much better to say, God, look at these people that are so successful. But I'm so glad they did this because I can learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I like you said, take what they're doing well and apply it to me and modify it. And this is awesome. And then I'll internalize. But it's. You have to let go of your ego to be able to do that. Yeah. Say, look, I'm I'm learning. I'm I'm growing. I'm changing. This is the process. And and there's a there's a step to do that because you're not the best. Right. Right. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple. Two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. I want to talk a little bit about measuring narcissism because you have a lot in your book about actually the the science by which you guys are starting to change 
how you measure narcissism. And we mentioned a little bit the NPI. And um, I took the test and I had a hard time because some of the questions I felt like I didn't identify with either. And some of the questions I felt like I could identify with both. And so then it was like, how do I answer? Yeah, that's a strange test. So a little bit of history. There was a, there's been several ways we've measured narcissism, but the, the test that got really popular in the eighties and it's still going strong. It's called the narcissistic personality inventory. And it's a, it's a strange test in that most of what we do, if you take a psychology test, we'll say, you know, we'll put it on a five point scale. You know, if I ruled the world, there'd be a much better place. One to five, five is definitely oh, and right. one is not at all. Yeah. That's usually how you do it. Yes. So, but there's problems with self-report and, you know, sometimes people just say what they think is the right thing to say. And so what they did with this scale and some others at the time is they use what's called a forced choice. So they give you two questions and you have to pick one. But the challenge is both those questions are kind of socially acceptable. So, for example, it might be, hey, Keith, if you ruled the, ruled the world, it would be a much better place versus ruling the world frightens the hell out of me. So I have to make a choice. And I'm thinking, well, if I ruled the world, I couldn't do any better than anyone else. Right. I mean, what do I know? I'm not that narcissistic. But does it scare the hell out of me? Oh, I think it would be super fun to rule the right. world. I'd love to do it. This I is exactly what was happening to me when I was taking it. Right. Yeah. So which, so which one do I pick? And then it's kind of 50-50. And so what that means is your score is probably going to, you can probably flip the narcissistic one-on-one and, and the non-narcissistic on other and probably hit up. I, I'm going to ask you what your score was unless you want to tell me. But <laughs> I don't um, think I do. <laughs> because but, I, I got but, it and I was like, What? <laughs> No, but but um, but a lot of times that's just the framing, and you, and you see the framing with that. It, it makes it interesting because you're answering with those forced choice. You're going to answer a little differently. If it were a one to five scale, you might say, "If I ruled the world, it, you know, it'd be a much better place." Ah, three out of five. Totally, yes. Right. So, so is is it accurate though? That's the question. Is that how we're measuring narcissism? And if so, is that a very accurate? way to do that it's um that forced choice format that it works reasonably well but i think a, a five point likert scale is a better i mean sorry to these words it's more psychometrically sound yeah so so i mean my student Brittany built one so we built some five point scales the nice thing about the npi and the reason i like the forced choice for people to take is because we have so many people taking that 40 item version and we, we have a pretty good idea what the means are. So it's, it makes it easy to compare yourself to other people. What do you mean? Meaning if, if you got, let's say there's a 40 point narcissism scale and I can say, you know, the average score is about, uh, you know, for some of your age is probably, uh, I'm just going to say a 13. Okay. And uh, 12, I don't know. And the average score of a president is estimated to maybe be 25, and the average comedian maybe is a 19. And you, so you kind of you kind of get numbers for it, okay? Because we've done it with so many samples. Um, but it would be much better if we had a five point scale that we'd given to all those different people, right? You know, we, just don't, we just don't have it. It's just the history of how this was made and and how it kind of stuck 
stuck around. And, um, you know, we, we've built better scales since then, but they're just not as, they're just, um, haven't been used as much. So it's harder to find comparison groups and they're a little longer and things. Yeah. Well, I will say when I took it and I got my score and it was higher than I would have liked, <laughs> I at first was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, but then like, I started reading or I kept reading more and you were saying like, if you score high, don't be alarmed. It's just interesting to recognize maybe some traits about you. So then I started thinking through kind of my year, like I was saying to you earlier. And I actually think I answered some of the questions based on how I've been lately. Whereas when I look at my life on a grander scheme of like, even like maybe when I'm in my healthier place, the answer is different. So it's like, it's not always one or the other. And so I just, it kind of made me think about, okay, well maybe right now this is something that I could look at in certain characteristics or in certain areas of my life, even maybe where I've been a little bit too self-focused or too self-absorbed. And then I can look at it and go, okay, what can I do better? Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And um, I think that, so first of all, these score, like your personality is going to fluctuate over time. It's going to change in some ways that are kind of uh, uh, developmentally appropriate. You know, most people over time, they, they become maybe a little nicer as they get older. Yeah. Maybe they get old and they get a little less open to experience when they're in their oldest age, a little more, you know, concrete now they think. So there are these sort of changes people go through, but also, if you measure even uh, narcissistic personality inventory, the extreme forms, people will have it and they won't have it for six months. And it'll come back. So people are fluctuating around these scores depending on what's going on in the light. So what you're saying is it makes perfect sense, just like it would for anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. uh, anxiety scores are much higher. I don't know if they're much higher. What I can tell chatting with people that anxiety and depression has probably gone up during the pandemic. Oh, I would assume so. Sure, yeah. Yes, yeah, seems that way in the data. You know, I don't publicly, I try to be a little more cautious. But yeah, just yeah. the ones I've talked to, people like that, I think dosing of medicines is probably going up, but no one's done their study on it yet. Right. You know, like in anxiety meds, I've got people's doses are going up, but I've only heard that anecdotally. Um, so, I mean, that's an example where people are changing because of a, of a social situation. And, and narcissism could do that as well. I mean, part of it, you just, People are so isolated right now. Totally. Well, right. I mean, you're with yourself all the time, so it makes it a lot easier to just focus on you and your needs and all of that stuff. Right, because that's, you know, well, what do you do? You're stuck with your kids and you're trying to just survive. You're stuck right. with yourself. And everyone's like, well, you got six months. Are you going to become a great person? You're like, what? <laughs> I just, I'm so depressed. I, I just want to get out of eat. bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just want to get out of bed, maybe eat. Right. And I'd make it till five so I can start drinking. Right. <laughs> and, and, but this is, and, but this is America and like we're a high achieving culture and like, well, did you learn Spanish? Exactly. Like, how come you don't know Spanish? Did you learn how to bake learned... banana bread? That's what. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's just, we live in this, you know, there's a lot of pressure to perform. Yes. Um, and uh, and it's and I love it about America. I'm not anti-American anyway. I love that, but it's also exhausting and devastating for people to just. It's hard for people to look. It's a freaking pandemic. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. I just want right. to sleep. Right. You know, just want to survive this thing, and then I'll work up on the other side. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
Well, let's kind of talk about that then, because you mentioned our society being such a, you know, a highly like performance based society. And I think the pandemic has clearly rocked that for a lot of people. I know that's been a huge thing for me is like asking myself the questions, who am I now? Because so much of my identity was wrapped up into my work and my public life, like you were talking about, and just validation from that and who I work with in that celebrity world and all of that. And when that's ripped away, you're faced with yourself and a lot of other questions. But typically in our world, we have this society that's super heavy focused on social media and your appearance that way and the perception that you're putting out there. Even the reality TV stuff I was reading in your book that there's a high narcissistic um, personality rate amongst reality TV stars because of the drama that they're expected to bring. And that's like a very typical characteristic, right? Of Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that and just like our society? Are we are we actually like creating a narcissistic society or making it more acceptable to be narcissistic? Uh, yes, that's, that's a lot. There's a lot in that question. I'm yeah. gonna, I'll just try to break it down a little bit. But so a few a few things you've mentioned. One is you know we build a professional identity. Um, many of us, because of the breakdown in, in sort of work and jobs, we all kind of are on boss. We have to build personal brands. Right. So it's not just, you just have, it's not just you have to be nice, Keith. It's not just you need to know a few dad jokes to get, you know, you just, you know, but you also need a brand. Right. And, and so you're telling 20 year olds, you got to build a brand or, and it's, it's hard. So there's just all this pressure on building these social brands and, you know, we, we build brands and we get feedback for those, you know, so we, here's who I am. Here's my feedback and social media, of course, makes this super easy. So yeah. here's my brand. Let me share it on Instagram. I mean, if you're a stylist, you're probably doing a lot of Instagram. I don't know, but I am. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, that's very common. So you, you want to show your performance and how good you are. And, 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 and so you sort of are curating a brand all the time and getting feedback and other people are doing the same thing. And you're constantly working on each other and helping each other, fighting with each other, whatever, to do the, build these brands and this stuff. And then it all stops. Yes. And you're like, who am I? I mean, I would, all I know is I'm a machine that builds brands and an identity and gets feedback. And when that feedback stops, it all just kind of falls to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, that, you know, an existential crisis. I mean, that's kind of what happens. Who am I? What am I here for? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, this has been a, this transition, my guess, you know, when I try to think of positive stuff about the pandemic, which I've tried to do a few times, especially when I was really depressed by it. Right. Is it, it's going to give people a chance to really look inward. And, and a lot of people are reflecting on what they're doing and who they want to be. And is this right for me? And if it's not right, what should I do that's more authentic or that's more real? Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's like, I'm moving to Montana. I don't know. Everybody <laughs> I know is moving to Montana. And I'm that like, sounds nice. Have you been to, you been to Montana in the winter? <laughs> yeah, winters but, are brutal, but, but it's beautiful. <laughs> but, but they never have, you know. They're just right. Soaked. I'm like, good for you. You know, maybe I'll move to Montana. So, <laughs> So this, so I think people are having that issue, uh, and and I think this is like what is bringing up with you is bring is happening with a lot of people. It's just identity is is so hooked into a, a rapidly moving economy, and when that's gone, you know, it all kind of falls apart. Right. The, uh, the other issue is about how we're selecting people for a lot of these things, and 
social media selects, and when I use the word select, so this is sort of a, this is like an industry term, but selects for means it pulls for, it attracts, or it draws in um, narcissism. So social media pulls for narcissism, meaning we all use social media to some extent or another, but people who are narcissistic tend to be really better at it. They tend to have more connections, more mm-hmm. friends, mm-hmm. more interactions. Um, you know, take selfies and they feel good about it and they share them and it's just easier for them to use social media. So social media selects for narcissism, especially grandiose narcissism. Mm-hmm. Reality television selects for narcissism because you, you need a bunch of people who want to be famous for nothing except for famous. Right. Who, who wants to do that? Well, somebody who's sort of narcissistic. Um, like, I want to be famous. Why, Keith? Why do you want to be famous? I just want people to think I'm cool. For what? Well, that's the culture that's been created, right? Like the Kardashians, I always use them as the example. And first of all, I have to give you the um, little note that I did a reality TV show. <laughs> and it was, I was, oh, t- but I was terrible at it. And that's, that's why this is so fascinating to me. I actually did not enjoy it very much, but I was looking at it from a brand perspective of you can't beat that exposure. However, it ended up biting me in the ass because of my inability to do it the way that that system is set up and um and it kind of backfired on me but what i've noticed um is just like that you know the the kardashian culture of it, they make it so it looks just so glamorous to just get famous for doing nothing or having a sex tape or being rich or, you know, any of those things. And it makes it so attainable that I think that the culture that we've created is, is one of people just like lusting after that almost. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And that's really, I I would love to, I want to hear what it was. I'm really curious. I'll tell you after. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, I think this stuff is, is so fascinating and I don't, I've never been on reality television, but I've talked to the camera people and stuff yeah. and I've heard a lot of it is you select people who want to be famous and then there's drinking and people kind of set up fights and set up drama. The uh-huh. producers will do this. I, I mean, one person told me, he said, you know, the only people on reality television who are, who are real is jackass. Oh, I forgot (laughs) about that show. Yeah, the guy was like, I work with jackass, and those guys are truly crazy. But everything else, you know, everything else is kind of, you know, there's a lot of alcohol. It's kind of controlled. There's scripts that are being built in all the time and narratives. And I don't know if it's true. I haven't done the work. Well, I can tell you, I'll just tell you from my experience. What I did end up realizing that I enjoyed about it was that I, the second season, I was on two seasons and the second season, I kind of just leaned in and opened up about things I was struggling with. And that was a way for me to connect because then I started getting, you know, on social media, lots of messages from people who had been through the same thing. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I love to connect with people. I love hearing stories of people who've gone through the same thing as me. Like it just makes me feel not so alone in this world. Um, However, the person I was on the show, very cavalier, I'll just say it, but it was, it was a reality TV star from the past show. And so the way that that dynamic was set up was it was supposed to be real at first. And then they kind of shifted as the show needed more ratings. And I just couldn't do Uh it. Like I, I literally couldn't do it because it wasn't, it's not my wiring to just 
fake something. You know, it's just like a weird dynamic to me. But it is it is set up like that a lot. And one person and the producers are controlling the narrative, which is just bizarre. It's weird. Yeah. But some people yeah, like it even when it's negative because it doesn't, it's, ne- you know, any publicity is good publicity. Right. You're getting attention. You're getting your name out there. And yeah. like, and when I, you know, and you've been around celebrity, but I usually say to academics, like you stick your head out, out of the foxhole, somebody's going to shoot you. Right. And generally half the people hate your guts. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> I learned that lesson. Like I, I mean, I'll do this podcast and I'll probably somebody write reviews like a Campbell, what an idiot. He didn't know anything, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, and he's fat. That's my favorite when they comment on my weight. I'm like, oh like it my has God, nothing to what, do with what you said. That's what always kills me. It's like, God, you're fat. I'm like, oh, it uh, hurts. <laughs> you know, that's the nature of it. Like yeah. that's just the nature of our modern society. Is, yeah. You know, they put you out there and people love you know, they, it's nice getting the fame, but some people dislike attention because they feel they matter. I yeah. look, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, I don't know. I, probably, I'd probably go on a reality show if somebody ever asked Don't me. do it. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> well, it feels yeah, good it until fun. it doesn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the attention feels nice when it's working for you, but when it doesn't, it doesn't feel so good. That's, yeah, I, um... Yeah, fame is, uh, anyway. It's a, I used it's it a whole my, different beast. With, with my, you know, with research every once in a while, you write an article. So back in the back in the day when Facebook came out, um, I was I was looking, I was like, oh my God, there's narcissism. So I got my student more. I'm like, let's study this. And that's when we just kind of first figured out that there is some link between narcissism and social media. And there's been a lot of research since. Yeah. But we first did the study some newspaper picked it up and said, Facebookers are narcissists. That became like the, the headline right. on the Drudge Report. And, you know, I'm getting hate mail and my, my poor student, Laura, I'm like, Laura, go talk to people and be famous. And she's like, I love this fame for about a day. Mm-hmm. And then a day and a half into it, she's like, fame sucks. It's I not said, that exactly. great. <laughs> how's, how's that hate mail going? Right. And she's like, this is awful. <laughs> But it was really cool because she got to go through a whole fame cycle in a day oh, and, yeah. and and learn that it's really not as great as it sounds. But but that's a hard lesson to learn unless you do it because because you want to be famous. This is America. Of course. And no one, no one, as much as you could go, yeah, but you're getting all this hate mail or these bullies. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, but you get. X, Y, and Z that seems so much better. And I guess it just depends on what's more important to you. But for me, it wasn't worth it. Like I, I did not enjoy the death threats or the bullying or the what, like that's not worth it to me. I would rather just go about my life, you know, but for some people, right. they don't but care. The, but that's really interesting for narcissism because think about narcissism is like, you don't have that, that interpersonal love piece isn't as important. It's not that you, you can't love, but that piece of love isn't as important as that piece for being loved or being admired mm. or being noticed. Being and noticed. So That's like, interesting. Yeah. So people are like, you know what? Sure, some people hate me, but I'm noticed. And that matters more. Wow. That's what I, when I go to bed at night, I'm sort of thinking, I got noticed. That's pretty bitching. Yeah. And other people are like, you know, I want to be loved. And that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, and, and a lot of us, you know, want both. And we go to bed going, you know, I'm loved and my puppy's here, but God, I wish I were famous and noticed. And, mm-hmm. you know, other people are going out, I'm famous, I wish my puppy were here. Right. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a trade-off. And the other thing you mentioned in there, 
is I have a student who actually studies celebrities, um, Patrick, and he, and what he's noticed in some of his, his work is that people who are being authentic and revealing things like uh, talking about, uh, you know, coming out videos or coming out as mm-hmm. depressed mm-hmm. or coming out as gay or coming out as, you know, having some sort of trauma or whatever, people really respond to that. Yeah. That it, it's a way that people can gain followers and gain status. And he told me, and my student, Pat, it just, like I said, it's not, I don't know this as well. So, but what he's told me is certain people will just do these coming out videos over and over. What do you mean? So, meaning they'll, they'll do a video on YouTube and say, yeah, I just, you know, I want to talk about my, the uh, depression I had in high school and how I almost killed myself. It was okay. really hard and I've never shared this before and you talk about it. And then, six months later, they go, you know, that depression video works so well. They do it again. They go, uh, well, you know, I haven't really talked about this much, but let me talk about some of the depression I suffered back in high school. Wait, so this... And they'll do it again. They'll do it again. But that's okay. That's what my question is between like these lines of what is what is like a healthy or I don't even know if healthy is the right word, but an appropriate amount of narcissism. And like, what is the difference between what you just described and then like someone who's just authentically like when you say that I started to think through what I've done because I'm pretty open about a lot of my life. But I always feel and I don't maybe I'm just completely um not in touch with myself at all I don't feel like that but like what I feel is when I'm like it feels like connecting with people and like when I feel in my authentic self when I'm actually just being genuine about what's actually going on versus like trying to make my life seem perfect or presenting this perfect picture and so for me like I have been really open but am I just like the way you made it sound just now is that people use that and kind of like I'm doing air quotes authenticity to get more followers, which doesn't feel authentic at all, actually. So every time in nature, there's something authentic, like a poisonous snake or a moth that makes you sick if you eat it or a poisonous fish, there will be a mimic who will do the same thing because it works, but they won't have the authenticity. Oh. So there might be a, there'll be a butterfly that's poisonous that no one else eats. So all the birds won't eat it. And there'll be another butterfly that looks kind of the same. That's pretty healthy. <laughs> okay. And so, and so what happens is um, when you have something that people respond to like authenticity at scale. So, so talking about, you know, and this is a very powerful thing. If you're willing to reveal things about yourself, people will respond to it. Mm-hmm. People will do that authentically because that's how they're wired. They, they, they feel that there's, anyway, they feel there's an authentic self and an inauthentic self. Other people don't have that same wiring. They're, they're more willing to kind of shift their self around for the situation. And, okay. and in the West, we see that it's sort of manipulative or inauthentic, but some Sometimes that might not be. It's just, it could be called acting. Right. You know? Right. And it could be a skill. Um, and some people will, will use acting to, to kind of get the same re- re- rewards. So rather than real tears, their tears might be inauthentic. But in their eyes, they're like, look, it's working. I'm doing mm-hmm. this performance. And people are, people are responding to it in an authentic emotional way, just as like if I recited a play by Yates. Or played a uh, 
George Martin song. Is he the sad country guy? I'm trying. I'm sorry. I was trying to relate to your audience. <laughs> with George Martin. George Jones. George Jones. I was like, George who's Jones. George Martin? <laughs> I was like, George I Jones. I, yes, yes, yes. I, mixed, <laughs> I, I was going. I mixed up the Rat Pack with the with the country pack. I called <laughs> uh, so, But you know, but but you know, like. It, you know, George Jones, is that guy crying every time he sings a song, you know, no. in the rooms in the house? I mean, it's it's performance. So, right. So I like to think that there's a lot of room there. And, and I'm, you know, and some people are like, look, I can perform and really do this. And maybe I don't feel it, but I perform. And, and other people are like, I really want it to be authentic. Um, but that, that connection um, uh, of revealing parts of yourself is really an important way to form relationships with yeah. everybody. I mean, that's, yeah. you, you form them all the time. You sit there and you, you know, you tell, and, and usually how it works is you say, yeah, here's something about myself. And I say, yeah, here's something about myself. It's right. kind of vulnerable too. And we both, we both kind of share these things a little bit and get to know each other. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a really powerful way to bring people together, but I can use that on social media and say, look, I'm going to share part of myself. Everyone in the audience is going, yeah, I'm going to share part of myself with you. And all of a sudden, I have like a thousand fans who think we're buddies. Right. But aren't you, you know, kind of it, in some ways, like, didn't you connect on the same, on a level of understanding of each other? I, I mean, maybe you do, you know? I'm yeah. Not, I, I think so. I mean, I have, you know, relationships with, uh, with artists and and that i who i've never met but i feel like i understand their emotions yeah I, I, you know i listen to their lyrics and helps me understand how i'm feeling um you know so i think i i don't want to say all this stuff is good or all this stuff is bad i kind of look at i try to look at things as much as possible as trade-offs yeah i actually and, really like that trade-off piece i think that's huge yeah especially in you know in businesses that involve, you know, being attractive and getting people to like you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to be a trade off and being in in the public eye. is really hard. People, you've talked about that. Yeah. But I mean, it can be even in everyday life, even if you're not in the public eye, like you said, when you go to work, you might have to put on a certain demeanor that if you take home is, is not going to consistently work in your relationships and so I think that's like an interesting the trade-off piece or like you could be one way but maybe not all the time yes and, and being flexible with who you are and saying look I'm this way here I'm this way here underneath it all I try to be a moral ethical person who wants to grow and be you know learn and grow and, yeah. and do good and you know I have this broader self but I'm willing to modify it in different environments um, to kind of get what I need and be a better person. Right. So what do we need to be on the lookout? Because, I mean, your book really kind of details the way you guys are measuring it these days. I do highly recommend this to you guys if you are interested in narcissism. It was very fascinating to me. You also really break down um, narcissism and relationships, which for me personally was a really great thing. I didn't know you had another book called When You Love a Man Who Loves Himself. I'm like going to order that immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead. I, I would say I wrote that uh, when you love a man who loves himself. I wrote that when I was a you know assistant professor, and I I went to so many dinners with women who were like, "You're talking about my ex husband." Yeah, you know, or you're yeah. talking about my ex boyfriend. I just kind of wrote it. It's a little bit dated, but it, it gets those ideas across. I think that was the goal. At least. 
Well, so what is it that we need to be on the lookout for situations like that, like in relationships? And then also situations with yourself because as I said I was reading this book kind of noticing some things that I was like hmm I do kind of do that sometimes and maybe I don't like love that about myself so what should we be on the lookout and when is it a worrisome trait versus or when is it a just a part of your personality trait to then like a worrisome trait or maybe even a disorder yeah so um the looking at other people piece is is hard because people who are really narcissistic don't often present that way if they mm-hmm. want you to like them. Mm. So they might act that way if you're just waiting tables on them. But if you're in a dating situation or workplace, you're hiring them, you know, you, you don't see it necessarily. Right. So one big thing to do with people is just look at their history. And people who are narcissistic will have a history of wrecked relationships behind them. You'll, you'll see a trail of victims. Um, if you look and you see this, like with the me too stuff, you you know, one name will come up and there'll be 10 other names. Yeah. And so there's often, you know, I've described it before as people are really narcissistic, almost being like hurricanes that go through life and just leave a trail of destruction behind them. And they might seem really appealing, but you go back and you'll see that trail, but it's hard to do in yourself, you know, in our research, and, and, and student Chelsea Sleep did a lot of this work. It was great, but she asked people, you know, the idea was originally, you know, years ago, I thought people who are narcissistic just didn't care. They're like, I'm a dick, but I don't care. About yeah. People. I only care about myself. It doesn't really matter. And we looked at hundreds of people, and it, and it really seems like people who are narcissistic see it, it can be a problem. And where they see that problem is primarily interpersonal, meaning they just, there's this idea I don't have the love or affection I need in my life. So they might say, yeah, I need more narcissism at work because I'm not successful enough. I need to be more aggressive, more competitive, more looking out for number one. But in my, in my personal life, I want more love. And so my sense with people is if, if you feel you're missing connection or emotional intimacy, mm-hmm. your capacity for love is is smaller than it should be. I think those are the things you can work on and they're not going to mess up your work. You know, being a more loving person isn't going to make you a worse country music star. Right. I mean, it it, might actually make you better. It it might actually make you better because there's going to be a, you know, somebody's going to have to put together a a production shoot for something. They're going to say, yeah, I want Keith because he's not a total jerk. He's easy to get along with. Right. Right. I don't want Keith because, or I don't want Keith because he's kind of a prima donna. Yeah. You know, we don't a freaking diva. We don't need a diva on this site. We just need people who are, who are cool. Yeah. And and work, they talk about this sometimes as the no asshole rule. Have you heard that phrase? I this have is not. Sort of a, this is kind of a workplace version of it. It's not too much celebrity, but people, you know, there's even a book called the no asshole rule, but. It's a policy in hiring where you say, look, even though no matter how talented this person is, if they're, if they're kind of a jerk, I don't want them around. And so this is something organizations will use just as a screening device. Like, I don't, you know, I don't care how good you are. You've got to be a decent human being. Yeah. So that, that interpersonal piece, being a nice person, getting along with people, that's where I really try to focus. Okay. I really like that. The book is called The New Science of Narcissism. It comes out September 29th. Um, Dr. Campbell, where else can people find you? Uh, WKeithCampbell.com. Okay. 
website and um, narcissismlab.com. We put together a site uh, with some of the narcissism tests on there if people want to try them. I think we've got three up there, the NPI and a vulnerable measure. Um, So those two places. Nice. Okay. Well, you guys go check him out. Like I said, the book comes out on September 29th. I'm going to put the link to purchase it in my bio of this podcast. Um, especially if you know anything about narcissism, I do feel like this book dives into like a little deeper of the study of how you guys are measuring it now, what you're learning. It was just, it was very, very interesting to me. So I really appreciate you being here and sharing all of that with us and you guys go check out the book and thank you guys for listening. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.